pray with me this morning? Father, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to worship you. And God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to to lift our voices and to sing to you. And Lord, just for the opportunity to say that we exalt you. And Lord, I pray that every person in this room, every person watching right now, that they would just take the opportunity to once again, just in their hearts, to say, God, I exalt you. Father, I exalt you. That God, we are here to worship you. We are here to lift the name of Jesus Christ high this morning. God, to give you all the praise and all the honor and the glory in our lives, no matter what's going on that other people can't see, no matter the frustrations, the, the, the physical ailments, or the spiritual battles that we're facing, that God, you are number one. And despite all the things in this world, that God, we can give you praise, honor, and glory. And Lord, I pray that you would speak into our lives this morning. We lift our brothers and sisters up who aren't able to be here today. We ask that you would touch them and you would speak into their lives. Father, work and move in an incredible and mighty way. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be present among us today. God, we don't ask that you would fill a building. We don't ask that you would fill a a place or you would just meet us somewhere. God, we invite you into our hearts. We ask that you would dwell within us and that you would walk with us. And God, that you would help continue to bring us out of this world. We love you today, God. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be in our hearts, that you would be with us. And Lord, you would lead us to truly worship you today. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down. Everybody's always in a hurry. I I, I don't want to make you guys do your squats this morning and make you sore. So we are going to read the Lord's Prayer together as we've been doing for the past several weeks. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, read this with me today. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, it is great to be back together with you this morning as we continue on in the sermon series. And today we're talking about thy kingdom come. You know, as you begin to pray, and we, we learn this prayer, and we, we talk about all these different things, I, I'm very grateful for Pat, or Dr. Wilson to be with us last week and represent the district, and just to remind us that we are a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And I believe with all my heart, as followers of Jesus Christ, that it is very important for us to remember that we are a part of something that is much bigger than we are. It's much bigger than we are as individuals. It's much bigger than we are as a church. It's much bigger than we are as a denomination. That we are a part 
of God's kingdom. And so when we pray and we seek and we ask God to come, um, you know, we, we call on his name. We, we refer to him as our, our father. We, we talk about where he dwells in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You know, lifting up his name and making sure that we're bringing honor and glory to that. And then the prayer continues on to say, thy kingdom come. And this morning I want to talk to us about this, this statement because it, it is so great for us to remember that, that we are a part of something that is so much bigger than us. That we are just tiny specks on this great line of time and uh, you know, just such a, represent a small portion of the people of the world. And when you look at ethnicities and countries and just people in general, the population of the earth, we are so small in comparison to that. And to think about how much bigger God is compared to all the things that he's created. You know, as people, as Christians, one of the main reasons why we submit ourselves to worship God is because he is so much greater than we are. He, his, his ways, his word, his, the reasoning behind all the things that he does, it's so much beyond who we are and what we can understand and what we can fathom. And so if we serve a God who is so much higher than us and so much beyond us and so far beyond our understanding, then you have to understand that we are a part of a kingdom that is also beyond our understanding. And our job as Christians is to pray that this kingdom would come and for us to help be a part of making that kingdom come, which is a lot of times really confusing. And not only is this kingdom so much, and our God and his kingdom so much bigger than we are, all right, so think about this, it's, it's way bigger than we are, it's way more than we can comprehend or understand, it is also worth so much more than we are. Now, you're Americans, right? Red-blooded Americans. How many of you like money? A lot of decisions we make is based off of money and what things are worth. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a servant of the Most High God, and understanding that he is far above and beyond and his kingdom is far above and beyond, that not only is it greater, but it is worth so much more. That at any given moment in time, no matter how much money you could have, you could be the wealthiest person on the entire planet and everything that God has and is able to give is worth so much more. And it puts everything in perspective as to how we should live and what we should be focusing on and what we should devote our lives to and what we should be willing to sacrifice in order to have things that are worth more. Because that's what it's all about, right? I mean, even... People of the world can understand that, like you sacrifice to get something that's worth more, like you invest. That's something we're very aware of and we understand. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I understand that God is more, he's worth more, his kingdom is more, his kingdom is worth more, and there's nothing that we can have or attain or possess that even compares to that, and so for us not to be willing to give it up would be absolutely foolish. And that's a realization that we, we, we've got to come to as believers in Jesus Christ. And as we talk about the kingdom this morning, we cannot do it justice in one, one sermon, right? I, I, we are devoting one sermon to this because this is our allotted time, but you can't do it justice. So I encourage you guys to go home and do a study this week and start looking up verses. Go to Bible Gateway, type in kingdom, 
and just start reading verses of all the hundreds of passages of Scripture that talk about the kingdom and Jesus teaching on the kingdom because it's huge. And so when you look at our points today, our first point is the kingdom is not what it seems. And so that is our first point because when you look at Jesus Christ and his ministry, the three years that he walked on earth, he spent a significant portion of his time talking about the kingdom, promoting it, teaching it, telling his disciples about this. And the disciples were very concerned about the kingdom and they asked a lot of questions about the kingdom. They wanted to know what was going on, what was it going to be like, what they could expect, who's going to be the greatest. And so the passage of scripture I got for you this morning is Matthew 18, verses one through five. And I want you to realize today that as we're talking about this chapter, we've been studying the book of Matthew on Wednesday nights in Bible study. It's been really good. If you hadn't been coming, come. It's all on the podcast so that you can get to it. But once we hit about Matthew chapter 18, you start counting down the days to Jesus' crucifixion. There's only just a few days left. And so you got to think the disciples have had pretty much three years with Jesus. They're, they're coming up to him, and there's still this great misunderstanding of what the kingdom is. They like really just have not comprehended it yet, right? So listen, follow along with me today. This is super important. You could have been saved for a really long time. You could be very spiritually mature. But if we were sitting here today and we ever decided to think like, that we have a true understanding of the kingdom of God, we would be foolish. So, so for people who spent three years walking and talking with Jesus, if they could not comprehend the kingdom and they were still confused about it, understand this morning, chances are we are still very confused about it. And I'm talking to myself this morning. It's, like, it's not like I'm sitting up here and I'm saying, I'm an expert in this. By no means am I saying that. I'm just saying the kingdom is not what it seems. It's not our, our first inclination or, or maybe like some kind of understanding that we have about it because the disciples couldn't get it. And the religious leaders of the day couldn't get it. All right, and we're going to talk about all that stuff. So in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5, it says, About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Fair question. They've all left their families. They've spent the past three years traveling with Jesus. They've lived very poor, minimal lives to be with Jesus. They've had no homes. They've been with him the entire time. They've given up a lot, right, to follow Christ. And they're saying, okay, well, what are we going to get out of this? What are we going to gain? Who's going to be the greatest? You know, the disciples were always worried about which one of the 12 was going to be the greatest in the kingdom because they thought, well, well, we're the ones who followed. We're his 12. Like, surely one of us is going to be the greatest. Which one of us is going to be? Who's it going to be, Lord? And in verse 2, it says that Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So here's these disciples, these 12 men who's walked with Jesus for three years. They pray with him. They've seen every miracle he's done. And they talk about it and they say if every miracle was recorded, there wouldn't be enough paper. There wouldn't be enough ink to record every miracle that Jesus did. We just only get just a little snidbit of each gospel. 
And they're asking Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Because in their minds, they think they're shoe-ins. But what they don't realize is, is that Jesus sees them for who they truly are, and he sees in their hearts, and he sees what's going on. And we know there was at least one among them, Judas being the one, who was regularly stealing from their treasury, stealing from their money. We already know at this time he was contemplating betraying him, and we studied that this past week, Judas betraying him. But he looks at his disciples and says, look, unless you become like little children and turn from your sins, you're not even going to get into the kingdom of heaven. That's tough. Because there's a lot of people in the world who claim faith in Jesus Christ, who've been to church their whole lives, who, who, who would say like, yes, I'm a Christian. And Jesus said, just because you call me Lord doesn't mean that I know you. Depart from me. That's scary to think about. That, that just because we say that we believe in Jesus Christ does not necessarily mean that we actually belong to him, that we actually will get into the kingdom of heaven. And so when we talk about this today, like when we talk about the understanding of the kingdom, it's not what it seems. This is serious business because there are people who thought that they were a shoe in and in reality, they weren't even ready to get in. Does that make sense? All right, that's concerning. But at the same time, it's awesome. Because Jesus says, unless you become like this little child, you can't even get in the kingdom of heaven. It's easy to be childish, isn't it? How many of you know kids? You got to teach them to be kids? They're just kids. You actually have to teach them to be adults. Because there's a lot of adults that still act like kids, right? There's a lot of grown people who've never grown up. Like that comes natural. And so when you look at the kingdom of heaven... We, we as people have a very difficult time understanding it because we like to apply it from a worldly perspective. Like we try to understand God through worldly things. And that's natural. And that's why Jesus used parables to help us understand. But at the same time, you cannot limit God to earthly things. You cannot limit his kingdom to earthly things. There is a spiritual aspect to this thing that you have to look beyond in this. And God created it to be simple. You with me today? So as intimidating as this passage is, it's also very encouraging because God has made it simple enough that even a child can do it, right? Anybody ever told you, shamed you on something, said even a kid could do that? Anybody ever been there? Say, how could you be so crazy? Even a child could do that. Even a child could make sure this was done. We look at children a lot of times and we don't give them a whole lot of respect. Our, our goal in life is to train our children up so they can be productive members of society. We, we want them to mature and to grow into productive adults. But even looking at it from a kingdom perspective, Jesus says, unless you become like this child, you can't even enter into my kingdom. So when you look at just the simple understanding of what the kingdom is, you, all, you have to realize as a human being, we have a very limited misconstrued perspective of what that actually means. And Jesus constantly had to redirect and reteach the kingdom, not only to his disciples, but to everyone else. In verse 4, he says, So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So not only can you not get in if you don't become like this child, but if you want to be the greatest, you have to be as humble as a child. Any of you ever saw a kid talk about their dad 
it's really funny. Like, you don't even have to have that good of a dad. Like, you could have had a dad who was a bum. And if he's a halfway decent person, their kid is going to think, he's the greatest person ever. Like, I remember as a kid arguing with people and just, or other friends and be like, my dad can beat up your dad. My dad can do this. My dad can do that. It's like, nobody, it's foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. But kids are just like idolize their dad and stuff in, in so many different ways. And when you think about the prayer, think about the prayer we're studying, our father. It starts out, our father. And so understanding that your father can do anything, that you become as humble as a child, that you, you go to him, you rely on him. And as people, we don't like to do that. We like to be independent. We like to rely on ourselves. We like to do our thing. We have to be very careful to, not to think that we have this great understanding of what the kingdom is, but to have the attitude of being able to be taught, to have a teachable spirit. You know, the psalmist wrote, teach me your ways, O God, right? Teach me your ways. Like that should be the heart of, of every one of us, that when we come before our heavenly Father, that, we, that we're not thinking, oh, I have a, this great understanding of what the kingdom is and, and I know and, and I need to be telling everyone else about this and it's really weird that I'm standing up here and preaching and talking about it because that's what it sounds like but it's, it's really like this week has been another revelation of how little I actually know and how little I understand. And so just being able to stand back and say, teach me your ways, oh God, so that I can be pleasing and honoring to you, so that I can serve you, so that I can represent you, so that I can worship you the way that you've called me to but we've got to have an attitude of of being able to be taught in order to do that not just assuming that we have this great understanding and again it wasn't just the disciples even the most religious people of jesus day did not understand what the kingdom was what it meant what it represented luke 17 verses 20 through 21 said one day the Pharisees asked Jesus when will the kingdom of God come good question right a lot of people concerned about the kingdom I don't know if you're concerned about the kingdom a lot of people in scripture was really concerned about the kingdom so they're asking Jesus when it's going to come Jesus replied the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs how awesome is that can't be detected you won't be able to say it's here or it's over there for the kingdom of God is already among you. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who knew the scriptures like the back of their hand who could stand around and quote it and who were teaching it every day had no idea that the kingdom of God was even already among them. They were asking, when is it going to come? It was already there. And Jesus is telling them, it's not physical it's not visible. It can't be detected. It's not this tangible thing that we know or we can understand. But the kingdom is spiritual. I'll say that again. The kingdom is spiritual. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And because it's spiritual, we have to be spiritual beings. And that puts a completely different calling on mine in your life about how we pursue God. Not to be focused on physical things, but to be focused on spiritual things. Everything physical is, is temporary. It runs out, it ends, it dies, it deteriorates. Everything spiritual is eternal. 
and you go to spiritual death, which is eternal, or you can go to spiritual life, which is eternal. You with me this morning? And so the kingdom is spiritual. It's not tangible. You can't force it. You can't duplicate it. You can't recreate it or create it. God alone can bring about his kingdom. You with me today? One of the most interesting things that that God has been revealing to me of late is the amazing things that we have power to do and then the amazing things that we have power not to do. You with me? So, So take this for example. As a human being... We do not have the power to bring God's kingdom. We do not have power to force the presence of God to appear at any given moment in time. Any of you who's ever tried to witness or minister to a family member, a friend, a loved one, and you tried to tell them about Christ, steer them to be saved, and you're working on them, you know you can't force that to happen, can you? God's got to do something in their life for that to happen. You can't do it. You can be a part of it. You can help it come about. God can use you to make that happen, but you can't do it. But on the other hand, on that old goat side over there, on the left-hand side, my left, y'all's right, you have absolute power to break down and destroy. You have absolute power to stifle the Holy Spirit in your life and in other people's lives. We have absolute power to bring about division and, and, and anger and animosity into situations to create negativity, whether you look at it from a person who goes into a school and shoots it up. It, it's amazing that someone can go into a school and shoot it up and bring about death and chaos and hurt and pain that will take generations for people to overcome. And at the same time, someone can go into the school every day and be a witness and minister of the gospel, and there may not be a revival happen in that school. You with me? So you see how in some ways we have absolute power and ability to, to because we're physical beings. We, we are naturally sinful in our being to bring about sinful things and destruction. But as spiritual beings, we can only be spiritual through Jesus Christ. We can't do it under our own strength. We can only be a part of it, and we can only make ourselves available for that spirit to work and move. And so when you pray, God, your kingdom come, There's an act of worship in that prayer to make ourselves available so that it can come. Because we could pray it all day long, but if we're over here and we're doing things and we're saying things and we're teaching things and we're doing all this other stuff, or maybe we're just like neglecting it and don't care, then we're stifling all those things from being able to happen. And when you look at our lives, we have to understand that the kingdom of God is spiritual. It's not physical. You can't go about it from a worldly perspective. It's not going to make sense, right? It didn't make sense to the disciples. If you remember in Scripture, what happened every time the kids kept running up to Jesus? The disciples shooed them away. Get out of here, you little annoying brats. Get, go on. And what did Jesus do? He kept bringing the children back to himself. There's a, you think about what it takes for somebody, you ever watch somebody who's just naturally good and kids just flock to them and wanted to be around them? Jesus had to be a pretty cool dude because, because kids loved him. They gravitate. They always wanted to be around him. There was something about that guy that, that kids wanted to go to him and the disciples kept shooing them off. Their complete lack of understanding. The kingdom of God is spiritual. 
And so this morning, I challenge us as we think about this and we say, what does it mean to pray for the kingdom to come to understand that it, it is a spiritual, it's not tangible. We can't create it. We can't force it. We can't make it happen. But we have to become spiritual beings in order to help usher that spiritual kingdom in because the things of the world don't make sense and you can't apply those to it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount early on in his ministry. He says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Who's that? Your Father. Go back to the very first part of the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. He's watching. He knows all things. He already knows what we need. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. What's the world worrying about? What's the world worrying about? Y'all can participate. The next thing, whether it's the next paycheck, how they're going to pay the bills, how they're going to get the food, how they're going to like pay the rent, Whatever it is, that's what the world's worrying about. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Right? Because we need to be worried about those things. Because if you don't pay the rent, then you don't have a place to live. If you don't have money or a paycheck, you don't have food to eat. That makes sense. But what Jesus is teaching does not make sense to the world. He says, trust in your heavenly Father. And you look at what he says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Now, a lot of Christians love that verse and they love to cling to it, but a lot of Christians do not live by that verse. Like it's one of those that we write on something and we keep it with us and we're like, oh, we're going to remember this and we teach it in children's church. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We love it, right? But how many of us actually live that? Because when you seek God's kingdom first, you don't have to worry about your needs, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, what you're going to do, because God already knows those needs, and he's already promised to give them to you if you will seek him first. And to the world, that don't make sense. If you're sitting in here today, and you're not, maybe you believe in God, but you haven't truly committed your whole life to him, or, or you're struggling with things of the world, and maybe you're sitting in here today, and you don't have money. And you're saying, well, Pastor James, you don't know what it's like because we don't know where our next meal is coming from. We don't know how we're going to pay our rent. We don't know where this is going to come from. And you're right. Thank the Lord I don't have to deal with that. It's not been something that I've had to necessarily struggle with, but I do know that every time I've put God first in my life, I can testify from firsthand experience that God has provided everything else that I've ever needed. And that's the only thing that I can do is testify that. The only thing I can do is live that. The only thing that I can do and you can do as individuals is live that out for other people to see. No, you may not necessarily understand exactly what they're going through, but as an individual, you can put God first and you can let them see that you are putting God first and you aren't having to worry about that because he is providing for you. You with me today? And we would all be foolish to think that we provide for ourselves. We would all be foolish enough to think that 
well, I earned this and I did this and I worked hard and, 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 you know, we've saved and we've done this. It's like, no, 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 no. Like every single one of us have been blessed beyond measure to have the opportunity to do any of that. That it's all a blessing from God. And you've seen people, you might know people, you may have experienced this personally. At any given moment, God can take it away. It's all physical and it's all temporary. And the kingdom of God is spiritual. And as spiritual beings, we're called to focus on the spiritual. And God said, if you focus on the spiritual, I'll take care of the physical. Don't worry so much about the physical. Don't worry about the world. It's going to come and go. You're going to come and go through it. You're all temporary. You're not going to be here very long. Our instinct, because we are people of the world, is to focus on the world and seek things of the world. This is why Jesus called us to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added unto you. God knows your Your Father knows your needs. Right? It's very important for us to remember that. Point number two. Graham Chapel is not the kingdom. That's very humbling to say. And even as pastor of this church, it's very humbling to like remind ourselves we are a part of something that's so much bigger than us. We are a part of the global church. Like there's two point something billion other Christians around the world. And there's other churches and there's other places of worship. And it is very humbling to remind ourselves that like what we do here as a body of believers is very important. Okay? How we worship together, how we, how we stay unified together, how we lift one another up in prayer and we serve one another, it is very important. But in the grand scheme of eternity, we are not the kingdom. We are just a small part that represents the kingdom. And that's super important. And because of that, we have to be super careful that we don't focus on things that are earthly or physical. You know, when Jesus said, it's not here, it's not there. Right? I mean, he said, it's not here, it's not there. And so if you ask anyone about their church or anything, they're going to say, our place of worship is great. Come to our church. We worship the Lord here. We feel the Spirit here. We're moving. This is where you should come worship. This is a holy place. This is a holy place. This is a holy place. Which is all good. All those things are good to feel like you have a place to go. But we have to be super careful in our lives not to limit ourselves to things of the world. Because Jesus has called us and said the kingdom is not here and the kingdom is not there. It's not tangible. It's not identifiable. It's not visible. It's spiritual. And so then you look at John chapter 4 verses 19 through 24. And Jesus is at the well, and he's speaking to this woman, this Samaritan woman. And they're having this conversation about what it means to worship and what it means to serve God. And this woman begins to see something different in Jesus. And in verse 19, she says, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. You're not some ordinary Joe. There's something special about you. So because there's something special, I'm going to ask you this question. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews, now, now think about this, you Jews, why is it that you insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here in Gerizim where our ancestors have worshipped? All right, so here's the age-old battle, here or there. Here or there, physical, right? They're, they're focused on the physical. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming and when it will no longer matter 
whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You listening to me today? They were focused on the physical. And it was okay because in that moment and in that time, it was how they worshiped and it was what they identified with. You with me? But Jesus said, but there is a time coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Look at verse 22. I love this. It says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. And Jesus got, that's kind of like a jerk thing to say, right? I mean, Jesus is like super nice, kids love him, kind of a jerk to some people sometimes. And he says, you Samaritans know very little about the God that you worship. Like you worship him, but you know very little about him. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. That sounds pretty conceited, doesn't it? Because Jesus is Jewish. But it's truth, right? All right, you got to know the difference between speaking the truth. And, and, and let's be honest, okay? Let's be honest. There are people who attend Graham. There are people who attend every church around all over the world who are spiritually immature. Like we are. And we all have different spiritual immaturities in different ways. So like even me as a pastor, there are still things that I'm like working through and God is speaking to me about as spiritual immaturities in my life. So it's not throwing stones. Like we're all spiritually immature. We're all supposed to be growing in our relationship with God, right? You should be. Whether you agree or not, you should be. We all should be. We all have different spiritual immaturities. And Jesus is saying... You know, there are people who don't know that much about God who worship him. Like people who, they, they, they claim faith in Christ. They try to worship to the best of their abilities for their knowledge. But the sad thing is, it's like knowledge doesn't cut it. Knowledge is a worldly thing. True worship happens in spirit. It's a spiritual thing. And so there are people who don't know anything about God who are trying to worship him. There are people who know all kinds of stuff about God who are trying to worship him. And in reality, you could know a lot about God, you could know nothing about God, and none of us be doing anything that's pleasing to God. That stinks. But in reality, the thing is, is it, it's a spiritual matter. It, it, it comes back to the spiritual. In verse 23, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now. You remember that? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. The kingdom of God's not here or there, but it's already among you. And Jesus said the time is coming when it won't matter no more. In fact, it's already here when it won't matter. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking. Think about this. The Father, our Father, who art in heaven, is looking for people who's going to worship in spirit and and truth. He's looking for those people. Those are the people he's seeking and he's identifying and he's calling unto himself. Spirit and truth. Not in knowledge and falseness, but spirit and truth. That's what God's seeking out. And so if you're, you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, okay, I want to serve God. I want to live for him. I want my life to be fully devoted to him. What is God seeking out in me? He's seeking for you to worship him in spirit and in truth. Because his kingdom is spiritual. 
you are supposed to be going to preparing yourself to be a part of a spiritual kingdom that he is preparing for us. That's really weird because he's preparing it for us, but it's also already here. And it's really hard to understand. And it gets a little complicated, but sometimes we just have to be as humble as little children and just accept like, I want to be a part of God's kingdom, so I'm going to do what he asked me to do, even though I don't fully understand it. Verse 24, for God is spirit, and so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's spiritual. Point number three. It is every Christian's calling to usher in the kingdom. If you're sitting here today and you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know it is your calling to usher in God's kingdom. And it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And so the first thing that you need in order to even be a part of ushering in that kingdom, is you need to be saved. You need to have a legitimate experience of salvation and to become a child of God. And you think, okay, like, exactly what does that mean? And Jesus said, not everyone who refers to me as Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's another one. Like, oh, that's kind of scary. That's like, that's really weird teaching. So you, you could refer to Jesus as Lord and he even said there were people who cast out demons and performed miracles and did all this stuff in my name and I will say depart from me for I never knew you. And so it does, like we have to sit here today and understand and, and really take a step back and say, okay, exactly what is the kingdom? If people can proclaim the name of Jesus, if they can do amazing things in the name of, and cast out demons and perform miracles and do all this stuff, and Jesus says, I don't know you, get away from me. Where does that put us as individuals and how do we know that we can have a relationship with Christ and have freedom to enter into the kingdom of heaven we have to be reborn we have to when we talk about being saved it's not just i believe in jesus there's a lot of people who believe jesus existed but they don't believe in jesus as the messiah so you can believe in jesus but not believe jesus is the messiah you can believe jesus was special and jesus did all kinds of stuff but when we talk about salvation there is a spiritual birth that needs to take place you need to be reborn and it's so amazing that Jesus has this conversation with this religious leader named Nicodemus who's an old man and comes at nighttime because he's scared because he knows if all his buddies who are also religious leaders finds out he's coming to Jesus, he's going to get the boot. He's going to be blackballed, ostracized, cast out from among his peers. So he comes to Jesus at nighttime and says, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And it's awesome because this leads into John three sixteen, which is like every church. Every church is like, you know, that, that's our banner for salvation. But Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And in verse 4, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And there it is. You see someone who is a religious leader supposed to be a very spiritual person and yet he is trying to take the kingdom of God and salvation and apply it in a worldly way. How can an old man like me go back into my mother's womb which is like the grossest thing someone could possibly imagine and say, how can that happen? And Jesus is saying, you don't understand what you're talking about. 
You're trying to take spiritual things and trying to understand it through physical things, and you can't. It's totally different. And thank God for the difference. Because if we totally relied on physical things and we totally accepted physical things and we based our life off of physical things, we will all perish with physical things. But thanks be to God, we have a God who provides spiritual life. And he gives us a spiritual rebirth. And because of the spiritual, we can have eternal. That we don't die and we don't perish with physical things, but we can live eternally with spiritual things. And the harsh truth is, is that whether you realize it or not, you are a spiritual being. And so even though your physical body may perish with the physical things of the world, your spiritual being will perish for eternity. Or you can live for eternity with Christ. And so to avoid the perishing for eternity spiritually, you ask Christ to come into your heart and to help you be reborn. And so when we talk about that, in verse 5, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. You with me today? You can't enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. There has to be a spiritual rebirth in your life. In verse 6, it says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. We cannot create or duplicate anything spiritual. As a human being, you cannot live in a way. You cannot do something. You cannot set something up. You cannot make this, this system in order for you to get to God. There has to be a spiritual rebirth that takes place in our lives. And it's not just saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, but true faith is saying that I believe, and I believe it so much that I'm willing to be committed to it, that I'm willing to surrender to it, I'm willing to give everything up in order to get it because I believe that it's bigger than me and it's more value to me and I trust in him 100% completely. And getting to the point where you're in and you're sitting here today and you say, okay, I want that, but I can't do that on my own. No, you cannot do it on your own. And so there's a calling on you as a, as a human being, as a creation of God to say, God, I can't do this. I need your Holy Spirit to come into my life and make me a new person. I need to be reborn. And, and, and I'm standing here before you today talking about what it means to be spiritually reborn. When I was saved, I was, I was different. It wasn't like I got saved and then like nothing changed. Like when I got saved, God did something in my life that was different. There were things that he delivered me from immediately. Attitude, different things like changed in my life. There was a lot of things that was different in my life, but guess what? There were still things that lingered. And so it's not just a spiritual rebirth even in one moment in time because we need that. We need that experience in that moment in time. But it's also having the spiritual rebirth regularly. For God to renew you, to restore you, to make you new daily, to continue to work and move in your life because as time goes on, I don't know about you guys, but the older I get, the more things that God just reveals to me that I need to grow in, that I need to mature in spiritually. And it's, it's a constant reminder of all the things that we should be doing, how we should be giving our lives to Christ. And unless we're saved and have that spiritual rebirth, we can't do this. We can't live up to our calling. 
And guys, it's so simple. It's, God made it so simple to be saved that millions and billions of people stumble over it because it's so simple. Yeah, I was reading a passage of scripture this week and it was talking about uh, Naaman, this general. And, and God, uh, he, he, he hears about the prophet and he goes, and he's got this skin disease and he goes to the prophet and he asks the prophet to heal him and the prophet doesn't even come out. prophet sends out his servant and says, go down to the Jordan River and dip yourself in it seven times and you'll be cleansed from your skin disease. And Naaman is furious. How in the world... Could he tell me to go do something so stupid and simple and go down and bathe in that nasty river? The Jordan River was dirty. It was muddy. It's not even that big. It's just like this, you know, it's not that significant. It's significant because of scriptural things. But if you go to the Jordan River, from my understanding of it, it's nothing great other than it just being the Jordan River and it being in scripture. And Naaman's furious because this is too simple. I'm not doing this. And his servant says, if he would have told you to climb a mountain or go do this great feat or do this impossible task, would you have not done it? And he said, well, yeah. He's like, well, this is easy, so why not just try it and see what happens? And he goes down, he bathes in the river, and he's cleansed. And the awesome thing about God is, is when you look at spiritual things, it seems complicated because we are worldly beings. You with me today? It seems complicated. It seems silly. It seems too easy, but God designed it to be so simple that anyone can do it. Salvation is available to anyone who will put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and invite his spirit in to come in and change them and help them to be reborn. That is available to anybody who's willing to humble himself to become like a child and accept that in his life or her life. You with me? That's made available to anybody. It's so simple that kids can do it. It's so simple that deaf people, dumb people, crippled people, blind people. Anybody can be saved. And we have to be reborn. The second thing that's going to happen is, if you want to usher in the kingdom, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom is, is you got to be willing to suffer. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to suffer with Christ. That's scary. And that means very different things for a lot of different people from person to person. And so when you look at 2 Thessalonians verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing. Now think about this. Your faith is flourishing. Your faith is growing. Flourishing. And your love for one another is growing. So in the midst of this, their faith is growing, their love for one another is growing. And in verse 4 it says, We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness and all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. All right, so they're suffering. They're being persecuted. And in the midst of this, their faith is growing, their love for one another is growing. In verse 5 it says, And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. There's the kingdom again. And God is wanting to make his people worthy of his kingdom. Because think about this, we're not worthy. We are not worthy to enter the kingdom. We're not worthy to be in the presence of God. We are graciously and mercifully accepted in through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. But none of us are worthy. And it doesn't matter how long we've been saved or how holy or how much God has done in our life and all the things he's delivered us from, we'll never be worthy. 
But God wants to grow you and train you up. And because of that, you need to know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, hard times are coming. Don't let anyone lie to you and say, you believe in Jesus, now you got it. Life's going to be apple pie and cupcakes from here on out. That is not true. There will be good times and there will be hard times. And God brings about seasons in our life. But let me tell you something. In the midst of these trials and sufferings and persecutions and things that you have going on in your life, God is doing one of two things in you that you need to be aware of. And you need to decide whether or not you're going to call on his Holy Spirit to help you through this. Or are you going to give up and walk away? Because God is either refining you as fire refines gold and silver making you pure and making you acceptable and worthy of his kingdom and you will grow in those hard times or you're going to give up and you're going to walk away from the faith and you're, 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 you're going to leave it behind. And in the midst of that, God is revealing to you your faith is not where it needs to be or your faith is growing and we're developing you and we're making you worthy of the kingdom for which you want to partake in. I was riding, in Greenville, riding to Greenville last night with a friend and we were talking on the way down there and we were talking about just the hard, difficult times of life that we endure in various seasons. And, and we were laughing about how like the good times that we had because we went all the way from like third grade all the way through up together. And we were talking about all the good things that we did, all the good things, the times that we had and how great it was, but we really didn't learn a whole lot during the good times. You, I don't know if you realize that or not, but most of the time when things are going good, we don't learn a whole lot. We get comfortable, we like where we are, we assume, man, we must be killing it, we're doing great, things are good, this is awesome, like, you know, like things are awesome, we're just going to enjoy this, and a lot of people fall into that trap, and we don't learn a whole lot during the good times, but we were talking about the most difficult, frustrating, like, things that we have to deal with in life, those are the times where God teaches us the most. Those are the times where he grows us the most, where he cultivates us. He makes us into the men and women that he has called us to be. And those are the times where you grow in God because if you are truly devoted to following him, it will be in those times that you lean into your heavenly father. You will read his word. You will spend time in prayer. You will surround yourself with other believers and you will spend more time praying and you will do all the things necessary that you can cling to your heavenly father and make it through these times and you'll be confident in him and he will help you grow in that. And nobody looks back, like we were talking about all the times, that, like things that we went through that we grew the most in. I would never want to go back and repeat that course, right? Like how many of you ever had a course you absolutely hated and you're just like, thank God I passed that. I don't ever have to do it again. Don't want to go back and do it again. Don't want to ever think about that again. None of us would ever want to go back and suffer again. And so the goal is to learn the lessons that God wants us to learn during those hard courses, those hard times. But guys, let me remind you, God provides seasons for us in our life. And as a believer in him, you need to understand there are going to be times where God gives you seasons of rest, where he provides for you. He gives you that time to need where things are good. Be careful. Make sure you honor him in those moments because they don't last forever. And know that there's hardships and trials and tribulations coming around the corner and you need to be ready to lean back into God during those times. Learn the lessons that he wants you to learn during those times. Grow in your relationship with him during those times. And know that whenever you come out of that valley that you're going through, that you're going to be better off than what you were before you went in it. 
and be confident in that. So as Christians, we have to be saved. We have to be willing to suffer. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, the author says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And so we have to be willing to live a life that is worshiping God. And when I, when I say that, it's so important for us to remind ourselves that in everything that we do, that our life should be a constant act of worship. Every decision that we make, every word that comes out of our mouth, every interaction and conversation that we have with anyone in life, it should be an act of worship. Because we could be in the holiest place in all of the world, and if Monday through Saturday has not been an act of worship, don't expect God to just show up on one day a week to provide for you this awesome experience that's going to carry you over until the next week. True worship happens all the time. You with me? Like you, you, God created you to be a spiritual being. So if you want to interact with him, if you want to be a part of his kingdom, if you want to bring his kingdom in, your life needs to be a constant act of worship. The awesome thing is, is that worship is the most visible when you are suffering. Can I get amen? It is the most visible. When you're sitting there and you're living it up hunky-dory and your life looks like peaches and, and ice cream and everybody's looking at you, well, they just got it made. You know, even Satan come before God and said, well, you, got, you protect Job. You, you got a, a hedge over his life. You, know, you don't let none of this stuff happen to him. And, and God said, okay, well, we'll take this away and we'll, we'll let you do. It's during the difficult, hard times that your testimony and your worship is the most visible for everybody else to see. And there's a lot of us in here, we want to be a witness and minister to other people. Like we want to see people get saved. We want to be responsible for bringing somebody into the kingdom. If you don't want that, you're not a Christian. If you don't want to help lead somebody to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, at least one in your lifetime, you're not a real Christian. And anybody who wants to be, none of us would sit here and say, I'm ready to suffer. Sign me up. I'll do that. We don't want that. It's not natural. And that's why James says, consider it pure joy. When you experience these trials and these tribulations, these hardships, because it gives you the opportunity to represent Christ. It is the most visible that your testimony will ever be. It is the most genuine that your worship will ever be. Because it's not just doing it because things are good. And you're not just doing it because situations and circumstances. You're doing it because you know it's the right thing, even when life stinks. Is the most visible act of worship, is the most visible act of testimony that you can give to anyone around you is when they're watching you when you're suffering for the Lord. But we have to be willing to worship. So if you ever just sit around and you think, God, what's my calling? Why am I here? Why have you saved me? Why have you given me this revelation of your son and Save me from my sins and we're not in heaven. Well, it's because he's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you to be here. You're called. You're called by God to represent Jesus Christ, to help other people experience the same salvation that you've experienced, to be able to suffer through those times and to honor and glorify the Lord, to, to let him refine you as fire refines gold and silver, to make you worthy to inherit the kingdom that he has prepared for you. And to also worship him. To just worship him. 
and to know that whenever you worship him, that it's not just a one day a week, it's not a place, it's not, it's not a thing, it's, it's, it's limited to nothing physical, but it is absolutely 100% spiritual. You can't touch it, you can't see it, you can't put your finger on it, you can't go find it. It is spiritual. And all those people was asking about it, didn't even realize that the kingdom was already among them. It was already there. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you're just like, man, I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want Christ in my life. I want to be spiritually reborn. It's already there. We just have to be willing to say, God, teach me your ways. Show me your kingdom. Show me your Holy Spirit. Come into my life. Change me. Help me to learn. Help me to grow. But be careful and understand that when you ask that, there is going to be struggles and hardships that come along in your life. Satan is not going to be okay with God doing something good in your life. He is going to try to discourage you. He is going to try to knock you down and take the breath out of your lungs and the wind from your sails. And he's going to try to make your life stagnant all over again. And if we're not careful and if we don't lean into God during those times, we can let it happen. And we should be crying out to God regularly for God Show me your kingdom. Show me your ways. Teach me, O Lord, so that I may be pleasing and honoring to you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. And Lord, I ask that you would speak and work and move in our lives. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We give our hearts to you. And Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come down and to dwell within us today, to change us and help us to be reborn. And Lord, for the people who's been saved for years, God, I pray that you would come in and that you would do a new work in our life, that you would change us and help us to just have another spiritual experience with you today where you work and move and you change and you reveal things in our lives that we can turn over to you and allow you to cleanse us from so that we can grow closer with you every single day, that our life can be a constant act of worship. Well, we love you and we thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.